0: I mentioned a moment ago when I prayed that uh, Tony was uh, speaking in Greensburg today. So be praying for him and uh, the family. This will be the first time that he has uh, has preached since uh, Austin has passed away. So I'm sure this is going to be a emotional day for them. And uh, I know he's planning to share a little bit of his testimony about that. Uh, everything that they've been through. So just, just keep Tony and Marie and their family in, in your prayers today and, and ongoing in the future. Uh, we know they certainly need that. And we also praise the Lord for our guests that are with us today and appreciate you being here and looking forward to uh, you worshiping the Lord together with us today and and uh, so thankful that you're able to, to be with us uh, in our service today. As I said, we are in Acts chapter 14. We're continuing our series through the book of Acts. and. Uh, uh, today, I want last, to... Last week, uh, Tico uh, was here and shared a message that he had entitled Authentic Christianity. Well, today I want to share a message I've entitled Relentless Christianity because I believe we, we need to be authentic, but we also need to be relentless. I don't know if you've ever met anybody that's relentless or not. I've met a few people, and sometimes uh, that can be a positive thing, Right? Sometimes that can be a negative thing, like when your kids want something and they are relentless in asking you over and over and over and over and over over again, very persistent. Sometimes that can uh, weigh on your nerves a little bit. And so sometimes in that sense, it can be a little negative. But as Christians, as believers in Christ, I think that we need to be relentless in our pursuit of Christ. Paul said that I may know him. Uh, and the power of his resurrection, and uh, he said, "This one thing I do, forgetting those, well, forgetting those things that are behind." And you, know, what is he doing? He's pressing forward. He's being relentless in his pursuit of knowing Jesus. On a in a deeper way and on a deeper level. Well, in Acts chapter 14, I, I see Paul and Barnabas. They're still on this first missionary journey. They're still traveling to these different places and, and preaching the gospel. And uh, they're, they're facing some difficulties. They're facing some persecution. And sometimes they're run out of town. But they do not let their their difficulties and their problems defeat them. They do not let these things keep them from continuing to uh, do what God's called them to do and share the message that God has called them to share. They are relentless in their, uh, in their service to God. And uh, when you think about the word relentless, some synonyms that come to mind, that, that I, I kind of look these up, and, and again, sometimes you, you see, look, look at these synonyms, so the word relentless, sometimes they're, they're kind of negative, sometimes they're positive. So I picked out the positive ones. Uh, persistent. Constant. Continuous, steady, unstoppable, unrelenting, persevering, determined, dogged, tireless, diligent, tenacious... And we could go on and on and on when you think about the word relentless. And, you know, as, as believers that, that live in the world in, in 2019, uh, we live in a society that is less and less tolerant of absolute truth, a society that is less and less tolerant of the message of the gospel. And it is important for you and I to be those relentless Christians, relentless in our pursuit of Jesus relentless in our pursuit of being conformed to His image and doing His will. And I think Paul and Barnabas serve as great examples for us, especially in Acts chapter 14, as you see some of the things that they went through. Notice with me, as we do our reading now in Acts chapter 14, look at verses 1 through 7. So they moved on. It says, Now at Iconium they entered together into a Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands." But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, and some sided with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And notice, and there... They continued to preach the gospel. Uh, I think it's important that we as believers need... uh, It's important that, that we be committed when things are bad. That we be committed when things are bad. I hope that you understand this and know this, that just because you're a believer in Jesus, just because you follow Him, just because you've been born into the family of God, it does not mean that life is going to be easy. It does not mean that your future is going to be a bed of roses. It does not mean uh, that, that everything's just going to be comfort, you know, and, and everything's just going to be wonderful. You're going to have some difficulties. You're going to have some bad times. You're going to have some questions. You're going to have things happen in your life that you're not going to understand. Uh, and, and there are going to be bad times that are going to come. And so as Paul and Silas go to this new place, they go to the synagogue as was their custom. They begin to share Jesus and the message of his grace with the people. Uh, And and we find that there are people that believe. There there are Greeks there that believe. These are probably those God-fearing Greeks that we've talked about before uh, that that had had placed their faith in the God of the Old Testament, but they didn't quite understand, had not made the connection uh, between who Jesus was and the Messiah. And as Paul and Barnabas share this message, they they, uh, trust. Christ as their Savior, but there's also Jews here that do the same, that, that, that believe. But the unbelieving Jews stir up some trouble. Uh, and the Bible says that they poison the minds of others, maybe those that have not uh, decided yet to follow Jesus that are there. Their, their their minds are poisoned by these unbelieving Jews. We don't know exactly how they poisoned their minds, whether they made up stories about these men or or whether they uh, brought in false witnesses or exactly what they did. But we know that, that the, the, the rest of the people kind of became a little bit distrusting now of Paul and Barnabas and the message that they were sharing. And so you have this conflict. You have this difficulty. You have this problem of these minds being poisoned by... Uh, the unbelieving Jews that were there. And uh, uh, we know uh, that, that oftentimes prejudice and bias will thrive on false accusations. Uh, Dan, uh, Dr. Dwyer says that in his commentary when he references this, uh, this, this thing that's happening to Paul and Barnabas. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas did not give up, though. Uh, we find in verse 3 that they remained there for a long time. And they continued to speak boldly for the Lord. They didn't just, you know, the first sign of trouble. They didn't just quit. They didn't just run away. They, they stayed. And, and they continued to share the gospel. They continued to, to, to speak boldly for the Lord. They continued to share God's message of grace. And uh, God enabled them uh, to perform some of these signs and wonders that we know that some of the apostles had been able to do. And uh, those accompanied that message of grace. The message of grace... Uh, was a message that Paul shared everywhere he went. We see him sharing it in uh, Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 24, when he says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and uh, the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, notice, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Aren't you thankful for God's grace today? He said to the Roman Church, the Church at Rome in Romans three twenty four, that we're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've been reminded recently of the passage in Ephesians two, where Paul said, "For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." Uh, There again in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And so he continues to share this message of grace. But as he shares this message of grace, the division that has started begins to get deeper. And uh, uh, this division leads to violent plans. Look at verse 5. An attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers, notice, to mistreat them and stone them. They are intending to bring harm, if not death, upon Paul and Barnabas. And so God allows them to find out about this plan, and uh, they decide it's time uh, to move on. It's time to go somewhere else. Uh, it didn't mean, mean uh, that they, they quit. It just meant that they understood that uh, for them to continue to fulfill God's will for their life, they needed to move on to another place. Because if they stayed where they're at, uh, something bad was getting ready to happen. And so, what do they do? They take the, 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 they take the message of grace to a new place. Verse 7 says they continued to preach the gospel. Now look at verse uh, number 8. Now at Lystra, uh, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled uh, from his birth. He never walked. Uh, He he never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And uh, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, or you might recognize the name Mercury, that's the same, uh, the, the false god or the, 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 uh, the god of Mercury, because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices uh, to them. The second thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is not only do we need to be committed when things are bad, but we need to be faithful when things are good. And Now, give this picture in your mind. They start off in Iconium. They're sharing the gospel. And uh, uh, some people believe the unbelieving Jews stir up uh, the people uh, around them to poison their minds against Paul and Barnabas. They finally come up with a plan to uh, bring harm to them and to stone them. So that's pretty bad, would you not say? I mean, I've, I've, I've been in a, a few hostile situations. Uh, I remember one time I was doing a funeral for someone uh, that I did not know and uh, I was, it was a very hostile crowd, uh, very difficult uh, to, to, to do that funeral. It was a very, very, uh, very hostile, very difficult situation. Uh, but I've never been stoned to death. I've never been threatened that I'm aware of uh, for preaching the gospel. I've never felt like my life was in danger for preaching the gospel. But, but Paul and Barnabas, I mean, they, they experience that all the time. And so they leave where they are and they go to this new place and now they go from one extreme to the other. They go from one extreme where people are wanting to kill them and stone them to the people wanting to worship them. Uh, They see them uh, perform this miracle, this man who had never walked a day in his life, this man who, who was a beggar, this man who who did not have the opportunity to, to live a normal life and, and, and was at the mercy of, of other people. And they see him there, and, and as they're sharing the gospel, it's as if uh, his eyes connect with Paul's eyes, and, and Paul discerns through the Holy Spirit that this man... Is, is placing his faith in Christ. And the, and the idea of healing here is not just physical healing, though that man needed physical healing. It's the idea of spiritual healing. Paul understood that this man had the faith uh, to, to be healed spiritually. And so Paul spoke the words and God miraculously healed him. And the man stood up and immediately began walking. Now we don't know how old this man was. We know that he was an adult. But, but I want you to think about this with me for a moment. This man had never walked a day in his life. And so his muscles would be atrophied. His muscle, he, would not, he had never known how to walk. His muscles would have deteriorated over a period of time. He would have been unable to even probably move his legs at this point because he was a grown man that had never walked. And God miraculously not only healed his body, but enabled him to be able to know how to walk instantaneously. And this man starts walking around. Well, all these people see this, these are people that worship false gods. They have, a, they have a temple at the gate of the city, the temple of Zeus that's at the gate of the city, and they're thinking to themselves, Zeus and Hermes, or Zeus and Mercury, has come down from heaven and has, ha- has visited us. And so there, there's, a, there's an ancient story uh, in this city there was a time in years gone by where Zeus and Hermes actually did come down and visit the city. This, of course, is just a fairy tale, but the legend is or the tradition says that Zeus and Hermes came down to visit the city, and the people were not very welcoming to them. And so as a result of what happened, Zeus and Hermes killed a lot of the people, and so they're thinking, okay, Zeus and Hermes has come back, uh, and they're, they're, they're testing us to see if we're going to respond to them any better. So what do they do? They go, and they, and they start trying to sacrifice things to Paul and Barnabas. They think this is Zeus and Mercury or Zeus and Hermes, and then they start to worship them, and Paul's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not who we are. We're just men. We're just ordinary people just like you are. We have come to share with you the true message of the true God, the creator of the heaven and the earth, the one who has sent the rains, the one who has caused your crops to grow, the one that has been good to you. We're, we're not some false gods. We're not some, somebody that you should be worshiping. No, we have come to tell you about the true God. And I want to tell you one of the, the tactics that I believe that the enemy uses is not only to get us off track, when things seem to be bad and discouraging and frustrating. But I think one of the things that the enemy uses is allowing praise to go to our heads and allowing us to become complacent and allowing us to become, uh, uh, to, to, to compromise when, when things seem to be going good. You know, they, they went from one extreme to the other, from being one, uh, people wanting to stone them to now people wanting to worship them. And Paul and Barnabas could have got a little prideful and could have said, you know what, this is pretty good. I mean, these people don't know any better. We can really take advantage of this. You know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll really take care of us and, 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 and we can just take advantage of the, of the. Listen, have there not been religious teachers throughout history that have done exactly that? Taken advantage of people? Uh, that that look to them and and put them on some kind of uh, pedestal and and make them out to be some kind of almost godlike person. And and people have done that throughout history. We we read about it. We've heard about it. We see it happening in our world, people taking advantage of others. But Paul and Barnabas, you know what? They stayed faithful to God and the gospel and the message of God's Word despite these people wanting... To place them on this pedestal and worship them. They said, no, we're going to be faithful to God. We're going to be faithful to God when things are bad. And we're going to be faithful to God when things are good. And so uh, they, they do not compromise. They do not grow complacent. Uh, they, they, they stay faithful. And, 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 you know, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in people's lives. They kind of have this emergency in their life. They they kind of have this desperate situation in their life, and 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 and, and, and they will come and 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 they will uh, they, they they will say they get right with God, and and, and things are are you know uh, they, they start really trying to serve God, and and they'll get in church and they'll do all these things, and and then all of a sudden their problem gets solved. You don't see them anymore. Their problem gets solved, and and you don't you don't hear them singing praises anymore. Uh, Their problem gets solved and you don't see them serving anymore. It's almost like, you know, God is just kind of this spare tire in their life. You know, I never think about my spare tire until I need it. I never get out, I never take my spare tire out and look at it and and check it out. I never think about my spare tire until it's needed and then I'm hoping, okay, it's ready to go. And I stick that thing on, and I take it down to state auto, and I get rich to take care of the problem, and guess what? That spare tire goes back into the trunk until I need it again. And listen, listen, please listen. Don't don't distract people. That's exactly what people do with God. Oftentimes. They use God like a spare tire. They use God... And they want God to fix them. They want God to fix their problem. They want God to fix this situation. And as soon as this problem or their situation gets fixed, God goes back in his trunk and he's forgotten about until they need him again. And I'm telling you, the enemy would love to use that in our lives. He would love to use the bad things to discourage us and distract us. But I want to tell you, he'll also try to use the good things to discourage us and distract us. I'm not saying that them worshiping Paul and Silas or Paul and Barnabas was a good thing, but what I am saying is it was a whole lot better than people wanting them to be stoned to death as far as their physical well-being was concerned, right? Paul and Barnabas said, look, we're not going to play this game. We're going to be faithful to God when things are bad. We're going to be faithful to God when things are good. We're not going to play this game of getting complacent. And I think that's what happened to the church at Laodicea. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says in verse 14, To the angel of the church at Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Now, you might not know this, but in Laodicea, there, there there was hot springs and cold springs that would run into the city. And then when these hot springs and cold springs would mix together, they would become lukewarm, right? And the cold springs had a purpose. And people used those cold springs for a purpose. And the hot springs had a purpose. And they used that for a purpose. But when those two streams met and that water became lukewarm, there was no purpose for that water any longer. It was not good for anything. And, 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 And Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea, that's what's happened to you spiritually. There was, He said, I would rather you be cold in the sense that you have that purpose that, that, that I've created those cold springs for, or I would rather you be hot and that you would have that purpose that I've created those hot springs for, but you've allowed yourself to become complacent. You've allowed yourself to become complacent. And notice what he says. He says, I wish that you were either cold or hot. So, verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. Notice this, I'm rich. The church said, hey, I'm rich. Things are going good. we got plenty of money in the treasury. You know, we don't have lack of anything. Things are going good. I'm rich. I have prospered. And this is what they were saying. Man, things are going great. Things are going wonderful. Things are going great. This is just amazing. We're rich. We're, we're doing really well. But notice, notice what else he said. I need nothing. I need nothing. We are a blessed people. that live in a blessed, uh, we're, we're blessed. You, you go to some parts of the world and people don't know where they you know, and some parts of our city even for that matter, people don't, may not know where their next meal is coming from. But I dare say that most of us in this room this morning have more, than we could ever imagine uh, compared to the rest of the world. We, we, we've been blessed with so much. And what, what, there's a danger in that, though. And the danger is that sometimes we mistake those, we, 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 um, we worship the blessings more than the one who sent the blessings. We worship what Paul said the, 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 the people were guilty of when he wrote the letter to, to the church at Rome, that we've worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. And so he says, I'm, they said, I'm rich, I, I've prospered, I have need of nothing. And Jesus said, you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See, they, had their, they had their physical lens on and, and, and they looked at themselves and they said, man, we're, we're doing good. There's a lot of money in the treasury and we've got a nice building to meet in and, and all the bills are paid and, and the church is growing and all these things, wonderful things are happening. But they weren't looking at themselves through the lens of Christ. And God says, I, I see a completely different thing when I look at you. I, I see a, a church that's, that's poor. I see a church that's blind. I see a church that's naked. And sometimes if we're not careful, we will allow the praise of others to cause us to drift away from the passionate fellowship we once had with our Savior. So what was the solution to that church? What is the solution for us if that is true about us? Well, I believe Christ gives that solution in verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy gold Uh, From me, or I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Can I just say, pause and say right now, I'm thankful that I have a God that loves me enough to discipline me, that loves me enough. That when, when I have gotten complacent and when I have gotten lukewarm in my, in, in my pursuit of Him, that He is willing to come after me and say, Hey, something's not right. You need to wake up and, 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 and put salve on your eyes so you can see where you're at spiritually. I'm glad I have a God that loves me enough that's not content to let me pursue a path that is outside His will. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that whom He loves, He chastens. And look at what Jesus says in verse 20. I think one of the saddest verses in all the Bible as it relates to what Jesus says to believers. See, we often use this verse to unbelievers. This is not a verse to unbelievers. I think there's an application we could apply to unbelievers. But this, in the context, there's, it's not to unbelievers. It's to believers. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to a church. He's talking to a church that has gotten complacent, that has gotten lukewarm, that has, uh, like the other church, has left its first love. And Jesus says, you've got me locked away in the trunk. You've got me outside on the front porch. And I'm knocking. I'm saying, I want to come in. Restore me to to the place where I belong. He has to have preeminence in the church. He's not just to be a little sideshow. He's, you know, he's not just to be something that, 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 that we use when, when we, we need Him and forget about Him when we don't. He, he's not something that we leave here on Sunday and, and go home and forget about Him the rest of the week. That's, that's not who Jesus is supposed to be to us. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. Listen, if God's your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. He, he didn't need to be your co-pilot. He needs to be the pilot. He needs to be in the driver's seat. So if we're not careful, we'll allow complacency and lukewarmness that caused Jesus to knock on the door and say, I want to spend valuable, intimate time with you. Open the door. I'm glad that didn't happen to Paul and Barnabas. But man, with our human nature, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll be like the church of Laodicea. We'll say, hey, man, things are going pretty good right now. They don't want to stone us anymore. They're praising us. They're they're applauding us. I mean, this is great. Let's just kind of take advantage of this. No. Paul said, we're going to be faithful. We're going to be faithful to tell people the truth when they're wanting to stone us and when they're wanting to worship us. We're not going to let how they treat us change what the message is. We're going to be faithful. Last point be unwavering when things go from bad to worse. You thought it was bad in verses 1 through 7. It's about to get a whole lot worse now. Look at verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So they're coming from other places now. They're they're tracking Paul and Barnabas down. They're going to where they're at now. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, remember? I know what they did in the first seven verses. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Notice, when they had preached the gospel, they didn't quit. They didn't stop. I mean, how many of us should be ready to say, I think I'm going to find a different line of work. <laughs> Not then. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium. Isn't that where those Jewish people just came from that was causing all the trouble? Guess what? They go right back to that place. They return to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. What do they do? Strengthening the souls of the disciples. They understand they have a responsibility to these new believers. So they go back and visit them. They try to strengthen their souls. They encourage them to continue in the faith and say that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas do not sugarcoat the truth. They, They don't say, hey, Give your life to Jesus, and the rest of it's going to be just a bed of roses. No more problems, no more difficulties. All your problems are going to be solved. You're always going to have plenty of money, you're always going to have plenty of food, you're always going to have nice clothes, you're always going to have a nice car to drive, or a nice chariot to drive in their day, maybe. He said, No, guys. On your way to entering the kingdom of God, you're going to have a lot of tribulation. You're going to have some problems, you're going to have some difficulties. You're going to have some tears. And when they appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them, uh, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Remember in Acts chapter 12 when they were commissioned to leave Antioch and go out on this missionary journey. So they've come full circle now, and they're going back to that original spot of Antioch. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, notice, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. I'm sure it's obvious, because we have it recorded in Scripture, that Paul and Barnabas shared about their difficulties that they experienced on this journey. But when they came back to give a report to Antioch, that was not their focus. Their focus is on what God had done. Their focus was on the faithfulness of God. Their focus was on how God had opened doors. And they were unwavering. In in verses 1 through 7, they were just threatened with stoning. But in the last part of this chapter, Paul actually experienced it so to the degree that they left him for dead. And some people think that he was dead, that God miraculously raised him. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But one thing we do know is he got back up, and the next day, he kept on keeping on. Whether God miraculously raised him from the dead or miraculously healed him, I don't know which. But God enabled him to get back up and keep going forward for the cause of Christ. They did not quit. They kept preaching the gospel. They go to the believers that they had visited before. They strengthen them. They encourage them. They remind them to continue in the faith, but beware, persecution is going to come. They appoint leaders in all of these churches. They spend time praying and fasting for these believers, and they continue on their journey unwavering and continue to share the Word of God with those who will listen. And they share with the church in Antioch all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Things went from bad to worse, but Paul and Barnabas were unwavering in their commitment to the mission because they were unwavering in their commitment to the Messiah. <clears throat> Let me just encourage you with this. Make sure that your commitment to Christ is preeminent. If your commitment to the church is preeminent, you will get discouraged and quit. Because the church, the human beings, the fallible human beings that make up the church will fail you. They will disappoint you. Christ never will. He is to be the ultimate One that we are committed to. No one, no one has suffered more from the quote unquote church than Christ himself. But he is faithful to his bride. And we can be faithful, not if our ultimate commitment is to the church, but to Christ. I like what Dr. Dwyer said but I want to I want to rephrase I think it's a good quote but I want to I want to rephrase it. He said their sense of commitment to the work was greater than their sense of personal convenience. I'd like to insert the word Christ there instead of work. Their sense of commitment to Christ was greater than their sense of personal convenience. And, and can I just say those are the kind of believers that we need. That's the kind of believer I need to be. That's the kind of believer that you need to be. I believe that's the kind of believers that Paul and Barnabas were. Their commitment to Christ was greater than their commitment to their personal convenience. Because I'm just going to be honest with you. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Living for Jesus means that you say no to your flesh. (laughs) Living for Jesus means that sometimes you will say no to what's convenient, what's easy, what's popular. That's just the truth. And that's the kind of Christians Paul and Barnabas were. They were relentless in their commitment to Christ. And that's the kind of Christians that we need to be. How do we do that? It's one thing to say, oh, this is who you need to be. How do we do that? Well, I think there's some practical things that we find throughout Scripture. Number one, learn to depend upon God's strength, not your own. Philippians 4 says, Not that I am speaking in res- uh, of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, good and bad, you might say, abundance and need. How? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I've got to learn to depend on God's strength, not my strength. Number two, I've got to trust that God will give the increase in His time. Paul said to the church at Corinth about the resurrection, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you believe that? We've got to believe that. We've got to trust that. And we're not always going to see the results right here, right now. But God says that if our labor for the Lord is for the Lord and is in the Lord and is through the Lord, whatever we do in Him, for Him, through Him is not going to be in vain. He said the same thing almost to the church at Galatia. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Finally, he says, or finally, I'd say to you, remind yourself that you're not alone. Paul and Barnabas were not alone. They had each other, yes, but they had something greater than that. They had the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer today, you have the Holy Spirit, you're not alone. He told Joshua in the Old Testament. He said, Joshua, have, I not a com- have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He said, yeah, but that's for Joshua. Well, he told Isaiah in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Jesus told his disciples, which includes us, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're not alone. We've got to keep reminding ourselves we're not alone. We have to keep speaking truth to ourselves. No matter how bad it is, no matter how good it is, God is with me. He is with me. I'm not alone. And finally, we need to remember there's a better day coming. Paul and countless other believers have suffered throughout history. Many believers continue to suffer and are killed for their faith today. But we have the promise of a better day. We have the promise of Christ's return. We have the promise of heaven. We have the promise that nothing we can face on this earth can compare to what's waiting for God's children on the other side. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us, what? For an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen. If you focus on what you can see, you will get discouraged quickly. He says, don't look at the things that are seen. Don't focus on those things but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And I think that's what Paul and Barnabas had their eyes on. They had their gaze on. Yes, we're we're going through some difficulties. Yes, people are are, are praising us. Yes, now we're, we're being stoned. But my eyes are not on the bad, the good, the ugly, my eyes are on Jesus. And I'm going to be relentless in my commitment to Him, in my pursuit of Him, in my love for Him. I am going to be more committed to Him than my own personal convenience. Because it will be worth it all one of these days when we see Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, Thank you for this wonderful reminder from your Word today.